Today we're going to take a look at three different possible responses to Jesus. And you've already heard the story about the demon-possessed man where Jesus drives the demons out into a herd of pigs and they all drown. And we sometimes focus on that story more than anything else, a bunch of crazy pigs running downhill and dying. Uh, But we sometimes forget uh, the really big change. But, you know, when you hear a story like this, sometimes we just kind of pull it out of God's Word, but we need to set it back into God's Word for a moment just to understand what was going on because it helps us make a little bit more sense of this story. In fact, if if you have your Bibles, you know, in Luke chapter 8 is a story about women accompanying Jesus. There's the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus even talks about what parables are all about. He talks about how you can't hide your lamp under a jar. He even talks about his mothers and brothers. But then there's an interesting little story right ahead of this where Jesus told his disciples he wanted to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, that's a trip of about six miles by boat. Now, some of you know the story. In the midst of their travel, a huge storm came up, so big, so violent, so fierce, that it almost caused that boat to swamp. The disciples were panicking. They were thinking that God had abandoned them, and they wondered about what on earth Jesus was doing, because what was Jesus doing? He was asleep on a cushion in the boat. And so they woke him up, and they said, what are you sleeping for? Don't you care about us? And Jesus looked at them, and Scripture says he stood up, and he said, Peace, be still. Almost took that painting off our wall this morning and brought it. It has a picture of Jesus standing in the front of the boat, and the sea is suddenly as calm as glass, and the clouds are dissipating. And when the disciples saw this, they asked, Who is this? Who is this guy who can calm even the biggest storms? And then I imagine it was pretty still for a while as they sailed across this sheet of glass. But it was only still till Jesus stepped ashore. And suddenly, out of nowhere, comes some crazy guy. Some crazy guy, maybe a piercing sort of a scream. He was a naked man. I don't know what you'd think if you suddenly saw a naked man come running at you, screaming and yelling. But he fell at Jesus' feet. Now, you can picture this guy, probably long hair, matted hair. His eyes are wide and wild. I mean, he lived in the cemetery. He lived in the wilderness. And on his hands... His ankles were the remains of some broken chains and loose pieces of rope where they tried to tie him up, but he just tore them apart. You know, when you read the same story in Mark, it says that he had scars all over because he kept cutting himself with stones. I mean, this guy was really crazy. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I wonder if some of the disciples might have gotten back on the boat and thought the storm was bad enough, but now we got this guy. But there in front of them, on the ground before Jesus, was this wild man who was demonized. He was demon-possessed. And that's something we don't often talk about. In fact, a lot of people don't necessarily believe in those kinds of things. And this is where we're going to pick up today's story. Uh, But I want to pray again, and, and let's just inquire of God what it is that he wants us to learn today. So let's pray. 
Lord, as, as we look into this text today, it's a pretty crazy text. I mean, it's a man who's demon-possessed, and it's kind of outside of our, our area of expertise and sometimes outside of our comfort zone. And so today, help us understand, you know, how people can ultimately respond to you and why they do it. Uh, bless our message, then, in Jesus' name. Amen. But we're going to start with demons. Uh, and, and I want you to understand something. Hollywood has not done us any favors when it comes to demons. Uh, in fact, most movies portray them as zombies, which is really stupid. Uh, portray them as ghoulish monsters, uh, imaginary ghosts, or, you know, God forbid that we even allow our little ones dress up as some pointy little tail pitchfork toting character dressed in red underwear. Or, you know, it's kind of like a little, we, sometimes we have little devil angels and little, little angel angels. I mean, how dumb is that? But that's not really what demons are. Now, you see a picture up here of, of Chuck Swindoll, famous Bible teacher. And Chuck Swindoll says about demons, they are real, but invisible creatures, powerful, but not all powerful. Demons are the devious, insidious servants of Satan, the ruler of this world. And just like him, they are limited in their authority. Now, sad to say, people, when they think about demons or devils or Satan, land in one of two broad categories. And I've got a quote up here by C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian author. And C.S. Lewis says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about demons or devils. One is to disbelieve them, disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Now, if I put that into common English, what, what is C.S. Lewis saying? He said, there are some people who don't believe in devils at all. Now, no such thing as a devil. While other people have this kind of overt obsession with Satan or Satanism or demons or things of that. You know, they're very big into, you know, wanting to play with their Ouija boards or their tarot cards or their horoscopes or a whole bunch of other things that God in his word in the Old Testament says, avoid this stuff because this is of the devil. They dabble in it. Uh, I went to a workshop a number of years ago on, on Satanism, and, and the police officer who led it uh, said that, that the people that are the most dangerous are, are what they call dabblers. And he said it's like young people, college-age people, who just think they can kind of dabble in these things. You know, just try a few little things. But before they know it, they're pulled completely in. Now, the, the proper understanding of demons is very simple. Uh, they are real. They exist. They are powerful. They can take control of people uh, emotionally. They can take control of people physically, as this story talks about. But as Christians, we need to remember that unlike the demons that serve Satan, who also has limited power, we serve a God with unlimited power. We don't need to be scared of the devil. We don't need to be scared of demons. We don't need to be intimidated by them. But today, I don't want to spend all of our time talking about them. I mean, after all, they're a bunch of losers anyway. But so, so instead, let's just take a look at the responses here uh, that we see to Jesus and learn as much as we can about Jesus and ourselves. Now, in this story, I see about three different responses from three different groups of people. And each group acts in a different way for a, obviously a different reason. Now, we're going to start with the demons. 
the demons who oppose Jesus. Now, when Jesus comes ashore, what happens? This demon-possessed man comes running, falls on his knees before Jesus. Uh, the demons controlling this man were absolutely scared to death of Jesus. And they were kneeling, not as a sign of worship, but as a sign of powerlessness and fear. I mean, that's why this passage, maybe goes up to the passage, Philippians says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, that's Jesus, and gave him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday, the devil and all of his demons are going to be on their knees at that final judgment. Every knee will bow someday. Now, why, why will they bow? Well, because they know who Jesus is. I mean, this is their enemy. That's why they called out, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, Jesus had never met this demonized man before. But the devil and their demons knew who Jesus was because Jesus is their enemy. Now, I think it's really interesting in this story. Maybe you caught this. The interesting thing is that the demons were more sure of who Jesus was than the disciples. Remember that story right before when Jesus stands up and says, peace be still? The disciples said what? Who is this? I mean, who is this man who even commands the wind, the storms? The demons knew who he was. Now, why were they scared then? Well, James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I mean, I've had a lot of people say, well, I believe in God. <laughs> I've actually repeated this passage. Good. <laughs> but, you know, so does the devil. But he at least has enough sense to be scared. See, demons know more than you think about God. Demons know more about the Word of God than you think. Demons know their destiny, and that, pardon me for putting it this way, scares the hell out of them. Well, it actually scares them further into hell, probably would be the best way to put it. Demons know what God has in store for them, and that scares them. The reason, Satan is on the losing team. And they are, they are afraid of this, and they know what their destiny is. In verse 28, it says, When he saw Jesus, he cried and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torture me. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now, maybe when you saw that, you wondered, now, what on earth is the abyss? Well, I don't know. I suppose if you watch professional wrestling, there's a wrestler called the abyss. Now, what was this all about? Well, we don't know a lot about it, but Satan and his demons know that someday they're going to get locked up in the place called the abyss. And we read about this in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 20, it says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, this pit, this terrible place, holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss 
and, and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Kind of interesting that Satan is on a short leash. Luther often said that Satan was like a rabid dog on a chain. You know, he can get out to the end of his chain and bark and foam in his mouth all he wants. You know, but he can't get at us. Unfortunately, there's some really stupid people who think it's still fun to pet a rabid dog. Well, they're losers. Now, we don't know, like I said, we don't know much about this place, the abyss, but the abyss is a prison for people who oppose God, and it highlights God's ultimate power over anyone and everyone who oppose him. So the demons are scared, because if you go back and read the story in, in Mark, Mark actually makes a statement uh, until an appointed time. These devils knew that their time was short. Jesus' presence meant their judgment was close. They were petrified. They begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded with Jesus to let them go. Now, this guy wasn't just demonized. Did you catch that? In this guy were many demons. Is that possible? I hesitate to tell you this. But in Russia, they brought a person who was demon-possessed into the group of pastors I was with. And this person would speak in five or six different voices, and sometimes all the voices spoke at the same time. Still gives me the creeps to think about this. Jesus says, what's your name? This guy says, legion. Well, legion is a word to describe a group of Roman soldiers which typically numbered between 3,000 and 6,000. How many demons were in this guy? A lot. But despite their combined power, let's say it was the maximum, let's say he had 6,000 demons inside of him. Guess what? Against Jesus, they were petrified. Against Jesus, they knew they were lost. So the very first response to people often is fear. I mean, people who oppose God and actually know who God is will be fearful. Why? Because they're facing off with the creator of this universe. Now, unfortunately, not many people uh, find themselves in this situation. I mean, those that do know who they're opposing usually end up switching sides. But there are some people who oppose God who really don't understand God and are doomed to hell. Now, I guess I could ask this question. Are you opposing Jesus today? Do you think you really don't need God? Do you think you can kind of make it on your own or somehow get away with whatever it is you're involved in right now? I mean, if this is you, I guess what I would tell you today is, friend, you ought to figure out who it is you're up against. And if you could actually figure out who you're up against, you would be scared. You'd be really, really scared. Well, that leads us to the next group of people. It's the townsfolk. These are the people who are ignorant of Jesus. They, they kind of know who Jesus is, but they don't know enough about Jesus. Now, the legion of demons begs Jesus not to banish them to the abyss, 
but to let them leave the man and go into a herd of 2,000 pigs. And Jesus gives them permission. And guess what? These demons' destructive behavior continues, but this time it's on a whole bunch of pigs instead of one single man. The entire herd goes crazy and runs downhill into the lake and drown. And I had this great mental picture, I guess, when I was reading through the story again. The pigs go from nice little pigs uh, into crazy psycho pigs. I mean, it's a whole lot of bacon going downhill fast. Well, the men who are obviously watching these pigs probably realize this is really pretty weird. This is pretty bad. And they head off back into town to tell everybody what's happened. And before long, what happens? The town comes down to the shores and they confront Jesus. And when they arrive, they find this demonized man transformed. No longer naked, but clothed. No longer running around, maybe foaming at the mouth madly, but just sitting calmly at the feet of Jesus. Not crazy, but he's in his right mind. And guess what? They're scared. They're scared. Now, you might ask yourself, why would the townspeople be so scared? Well, they weren't scared of the same thing that the demons were scared of because they have no idea of the true identity of Jesus. But they're scared, like many people in this world, at the obvious display of power that obviously transformed this demon-possessed man who they probably knew pretty well. They're scared because when they saw this guy changed and they let this guy hang around in their town, what might he do? He might change them as well. Now, the impact of Jesus certainly wasn't negative. I mean, in fact, the impact on this demon-possessed guy was very positive. But the people of the town were fearful of the potential negative implications because they had all of their priorities all wrong. Now, let me ask you this. If you were there that day, in their situation, would you have been looking at the healed man or the drowned pigs? Which would have fascinated you more, the healed man or the drowned pigs? Maybe another way of saying this is, do your priorities in your life, your little piggies, make you fear God's transforming power? Uh, Let me put this into modern-day language for you. You know, when Jesus transforms a life, things around people begin to change. I mean, a transformed person, sometimes their activities have to change, and they no longer head out to the clubs at night or don't spend all of their time fishing or hunting or whatever every time a church service rolls around. I mean, sometimes when their life has changed, they have to change and they no longer put a priority on working an obscene number of hours uh, trying to earn enough money to buy a bigger car or a bigger house or a bigger boat or whatever. Sometimes a transformed person, uh, their ambitions change. Uh, Sometimes their attitudes towards a whole bunch of stuff begins to change, and they figure out that they need to be servants instead of bosses all the time. I've said this before, that when I went back from my 25th high school reunion, uh, the kids in my class were absolutely stunned that of all the people in my class, I became a pastor. I went to a Lutheran high school. 
the public school kids who were celebrating their anniversary at the same time came over to see whether it was true. Well, what happened in 25 years? Well, there was some transformation, obviously. Things changed. So let me ask you this. Would you be willing to give up certain activities? Would you be willing to give up your lifestyle or your ambitions or your attitudes to allow God to actually transform your life? I mean, would you be willing to give up all your little piggies in order to allow Jesus to transform you? Or do you want to hold on to all your little piggies, your, your little piggy activities, or your piggy lifestyles, or your piggy ambitions, or your piggy attitudes? Is that what you want to do? See, these people were focusing on the negatives rather than the positives. For them, their comfort, their security, their status quo was far more important than a changed life. And so they asked Jesus to leave because they were scared. They were scared by their ignorance. Now, hopefully this does not reflect your attitude. I mean, I would pray that none of you are are so ignorant of who Jesus really is, but that you would understand Jesus does change lives. Hopefully you're not too scared of change to see how much you really need him in your life. You know, if this is you, don't be scared to change. I mean, turn your focus on the positive rather than the negative. You know, there's an old song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Because Jesus would love to change your priorities. He'd love to change the way you think. I mean, the Bible even says, have this mind of Christ. He says he wants to put on a whole new robe of righteousness and take that old dirty one off. He wants to give you his priorities. But there's a third group here. It's the demonized man. Those transformed by Jesus. Now, even though he could not be tied down by ropes or chains, he was still a prisoner. He was controlled by a legion of demons. 2,000, 3,000, who knows how many. But what an amazing transformation. From a man who terrorized an entire community and who probably terrorized himself to suddenly become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Back in our text, again, it says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Here's a man whose life is totally changed. He is extremely grateful for what Jesus has done in his life and how Jesus has made him a whole new person. And now he wants to become a disciple of Jesus. He wants to go where Jesus is going. But interestingly enough, Jesus says, nope. Almost like when they got back in the boat, he says, no, we got enough people in the boat right now. And he says, there's something far more important for you to do. I mean, you know, in a couple of weeks, we are going to commission Katie Cleveland to be our DCE. What Jesus did was commission this guy to be an evangelist. I'm giving you a call. I'm calling you to be an evangelist. I want you to go and tell other people about what's happened and who caused it. See, if the first group of people were afraid, the second group of people were scared, Uh, the third response here is the response of a transformed life. 
I think we all know as Christians, and I'm kind of assuming today that's what you all are, uh, but God calls people to be changed. You know, we're always going to be different. Uh, He calls us to be born again, if you want to use that term, or to be transformed. And then what does he do? He says, "When, when something that I've done within you causes you to change, what are you to do? You are to share that with other people. I think of a Bible passage that I've shared with a lot of people over the years, you know, who've kind of wondered, you know, this happened to me, I made it through, now what do I do? It's in 2 Corinthians, and it's in chapter 1, it says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I mean, I think about some of the guys that I know in prison whose lives are amazingly transformed. I I look at these guys and I sit with them, and I absolutely, positively, when they tell me what they did to get into prison, cannot believe it. I look at them and I don't see the eyes of a hardened criminal. I don't see the eyes of a murderer or a rapist or whatever. These guys are changed. And, And, you know, by and large, what these guys want to do is tell other people about it. You know, there's a bus that arrives with people into that prison every day. And when that bus pulls into the prison, the first people on that bus are inmate pastors. That's per Warden Kane. And the inmate pastors walk in and they say, you can either be with the predators or you can be with us. You can either continue to live the life you live, or you can have your lives changed like ours. It's your choice. Be my witnesses. See, the townspeople rejected him out of ignorance. The transformed man could go back into that town and do what? He could inform them of who Jesus was. He could inform them of what Jesus did. He could cure their ignorance. Remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well when he said, get your husband. And he said, well, you've had more than one husband. You know, that whole story. And at the end, she goes back and she tells everybody about Jesus. I mean, what a wonderful opportunity. You don't need to raise your hand. Uh, I'd love to do this down at prison because I know how many hands I see. But if I ask this question, how many of you have been transformed by Jesus Christ? You know, if, if you have... The next question is this, are you telling other people about Jesus? See, if he has transformed you, if he has changed you, guess what? You've got an amazing story to tell. And you're the only person that can tell it. And guess what? Nobody can say you're you're wrong because it's your story. Let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. Now, you don't need to spend a whole lot of time telling people how wicked, bad, and nasty you were. You know, sometimes people do that. They got their pyramid upside down. I've asked people if they want to share about a 15-minute testimony. You know what happens? The first 10 minutes, they tell everybody about how evil, wicked, bad, and nasty they were, about all the drugs and the alcohol and everything. And then they get down, and in about two minutes, they say, but one day I was watching a Billy Graham uh, thing on television, accepted Jesus, and now my life is fine. 
Take that thing and flip it upside down. Yeah, there was a time in my life when I was evil, wicked, bad, and nasty. But here's what happened. Here's how Jesus came into my life. And he changed me. And now let me tell you what life is like ever since. It's just the other way around. So which one are you most like? Do you openly oppose God? Do you know who he is, but you oppose his work? I mean, if that's you, you ought to be shaking in your boots today. And if you know who God is and you oppose him, you ought to be scared to death. Because you are, you know, your arms are too short to box with God. You'll never win this one. And unlike the demons, though, if this is you, you have a chance to repent and switch sides. I don't know if anybody's like that here, but, you know, you can allow God to be your Savior and take up your place in God's army. And, you know, I've told you before, I hate to tell you, I've read to the end of this book and we win. God wins. Or are you in that middle category? Are you kind of ignorant about God and more concerned with your little herd of pigs? You don't really understand who God really is, but you're a little bit afraid that if you get too close to him, he's going to demand a lifestyle change that you might not like. Kind of really ignorant of who he really is. So instead of welcoming Jesus, you kind of hold him at arm's length. And maybe even occasionally tell him, you know, Jesus, it would be okay if you weren't here for a while because I got stuff to do. Well, if that's you, then I would say you really need to know who Jesus really is. I mean, Jesus is not some sort of a guy that wants to throw lightning bolts out of heaven and smoke you where you stand. Jesus is not some horrible, wicked, nasty God who, who just aching to bake people in hell. I mean, he's a loving God who wants to show his mercy, who wants to show people his grace, who wants to love on people, and he wants to change them and show them what a wonderful life you can have in Him. Or I'm hoping and praying that uh, you all are kind of on the path of saying, no, I'm, I'm being transformed. I'm on the road to transformation. Or maybe some of you say, I'm, yeah, I, I have really been changed. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I really want to be telling other people about it. You know, you and I live in a really dark world. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now, if you sit in a holy huddle like this, and this is all you do all week, it's pretty light and bright in here. A whole bunch of nice little Christians. But I can guarantee you, you walk out of here, you walk back into some darkness. And you all know where it's at. Now, you don't need to be there. But if you find yourself in a place of darkness... What does light do to darkness? Drives it away. Imagine the change you could bring to people's life by letting your little light shine in dark places. And maybe you'll remember today, yeah, that inverted pyramid. Let me tell you how Jesus has changed my life.
Let's pray. Father, uh, any number of ways that we can react to Jesus. We can, be, we can be scared of him because we actually know who he is. We can be afraid of him because we know what he can do to us. Or we can be transformed and share. Father, I pray today that through the working of the Holy Spirit that we all be on this path of transformation. That each and every day the Holy Spirit work in our heart to bring about sanctification to clean us up, to give us fuel for the flame of our little light. And wherever we walk in this dark world, give us the strength and the power to share the love of Jesus, that light, with others. We pray it in his name. Amen.